you are now about to witness. B.H. Buckaroo. Holiday. B.H. Buckaroo. Holiday. B.H. B.I.H. Hey, it's the all-new B.H. for 2020. Introducing the Murphy Morning Madhouse. Madhouse. <laughs> With the whole crew. Johnny Scumbari. Forget about it. Hey, Johnny has it hanging. Forget about it. Jenny the Whore. You just can't help yourself. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Scrotum. <laughs> and Lil Bejeezy. And that's confirmed like a Don King time. What up? You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. For sure. <laughs> I hear today we're going to have a guest appearance. Yeah, special guest. <laughs> President Donald Trump. Cut that. Cut. Yeah, I know. A scumbag. Coffee. <laughs> Let's start the mayhem with a beautiful Leonard Cohen song performed by our own John Bon Jovi. When I heard there was a secret call, David played to please the Lord. Well, it goes like this The fourth, the fifth Minor fall and the major lift back. I'll start again I'll start again Buckaroo Holiday Never mind no bad dreams, just relax, because this is good old Buckaroo Holiday, just the way you like it, as it is, was, and evermore shall be, for the time being anyway, and as per custom, we're doing it all with you in mind, here at the Schoolyard Gents, a place of wonder and enchantment, ensconced in war-torn Bayshore, New York. I'm Sport. That's a nickname I'm surely way too old for, but then I always was. As mentioned, we took a little bit of a hiatus because I knew the holidays were going to be demanding, and I didn't know how demanding. We were all sick, and I'm still sick, aside from every other holiday distraction, demand, requirement, surprise. And now we find ourselves in 2020. The disco hotspots hold no charm for any... <laughs> oh, the references. Hey, kill me. So you had your Grace Slick, your Danny Zeitlin, 
back in 1969 for Sesame Street, of course. To celebrate our seventh show, we included that here. It's funny, I, I loved the original Sesame Street. The animation was great, the music was great. It was a really uh, innovative program. And some years ago, I guess when my own kids were small, or maybe before they were born, I bought some DVD sets of the early Sesame Street things, and they took pains to announce on the box that this was not intended for children. That's how things have changed over the years. My kids never liked the show. They never, they hated Elmo and the whole bit. But when I showed them those DVDs when they were tots, they loved them. So uh, they were doing something right back in those days that uh, they ain't doing now. Anyway, at this point, I'm feeling a little bit reflective, kind of reeling for a number of reasons, not only the health issues, but all sorts of things. And uh, I don't want to let it affect the program, but it can't help but influence it. On a previous Buckaroo holiday, I referred to Treasure of the Castilian or Spanish Language, which is a booklet from um, New Directions Poetry. It's an oddball little item I picked up. It's a translation of a dictionary that was published in 1611 in Madrid, Spain. It was an attempt to uh, create the first Spanish language dictionary by Sebastián de Covarrubias Horasco. Sorry for the pronunciation. I know there's been a running joke about pronunciation on these shows, and it's because I, I'm bad at it. All right, so anyway, this uh, poet, Janet Hendrickson, was involved in some sort of a translation project. She thought it would be helpful to consult a dictionary published around the time of the thing she was translating to get a sense of period usage and otherwise enhance her translation. What she discovered was that Senor Horasco, having no real model for his dictionary, was very creative with it. Now you'll notice sometimes in cartography, in the old days when they were trying to map out the world before a lot of it was actually really understood, they would invent the areas that had not yet been explored. So you'd see these very strange constructions that look very familiar on one edge, like the New World, right? The uh, North America. You'd see the, the East Coast looked pretty much as we understand it. And then all kinds of bizarre imaginative versions of what the rest of it was going to look like. And that happens with a lot of the stuff in this book. I'm sure that the original volume is full of fairly straight definitions. But since Hendrickson is a poet, she's taken the, only those entries that are the most surreal, inventively naive, humorous, sometimes uh, mysterious. You know, the the uh, it, it does become poetry or poetic, at least. I don't really know from poetry, but I recognize the poetic impulse when I see it. And certainly Hendrickson chose well. Some of you may know about the... Pedro Carolino English as she is spoke as it's called uh, translations from Portuguese to English which are comical this is not that kind of a book what it is is it's a reminder that our understanding is always incomplete we encounter life and the world and ideas and we fill in the blanks the stuff we don't understand we invent meanings for all kinds of strangeness comes out of this. Some of it's good and some of it's bad. Poetry is one of the things that comes of it. Some of the bad things are the more oppressive forms of religion and politics and philosophy. But taken, I think, in the right spirit, this can be uh, 
a guide to other ways of seeing. You know, I mentioned my heroes on a previous show, Charles Ives, John Cassavetes, and Vivian Stanchel. I had to learn to listen in a different way to really hear Ives. I had to watch a film in a different way in order to get Cassavetes. I had to learn when humor was serious and tragedy was funny and how tightly bound they are maybe how to separate them sometimes when, when necessary. The skills learned here, the, the experience of, of negotiating this artist's uh, new language changed the way I hear all other music and see all other film and, and experience all other things that I encounter. It's a wonderful thing. And there's a little of that in these entries, and I'm going to be dropping them here and there throughout the show. Most of them are very brief. There is one, though, that's pretty long. You'll know it when it comes, and I have included it because there's a mystical significance to it. Very personal mystical significance. It's not important that I describe it to you, so I won't. But I'm just telling you what to expect. But let's get the music underway finally, eh? Let's go to Alejandro Jodorowsky as he buries the first toy. Alba Dawn What is that? Nothing but the dawn as it walks among the cabbages. In the morning 
minutes rest you will see me at the time I love the best watching rainbows play on sunlight pools of water iced from cold nights in the morning tis the morning of my life in the daytime I will meet you as before you will find me waiting by the ocean floor building castles in the shifting sands in a world that no one understands in the morning tis the morning of my So long to drift away Please be patient with your life It's only morning and you still to live your day In the evening I will fly you to the moon To the top right hand corner of the ceiling in my room where we'll stay until the sun shines another day to swing on closed lines may I be yawning tis the morning of my life tis the morning of my life in the morning
the whimsical Welsh band Gorky's Zygotic Minky with a 1995 confection called If Fingers Were Xylophones. If you don't know them, they're worth checking out. Uh, very Canterbury-influenced band who did a lot of their songs in Welsh. And before them, we had the magnificent Bee Gees. I love the Bee Gees very much. That version of Morning of My Life was recorded in 1965 when Robin and Morris were just slightly older than my own children are now. They were uh, teenagers. They did that song later uh, for a film, 1970 or so. And that's a beautiful version, but this early one has a quality that I find really touching. Yeah, uh, every version of that song I've ever heard makes me weep. I may play another one later in the show, I don't know. But the Bee Gees, uh, wow, wow. And then before that, the first of our excerpts from the treasure of the Castilian or Spanish language. And uh, at top, it was Jodorowsky's theme from his own movie, El Topo. Uh, wonderful, wonderful score.
You know, it's funny how certain things stick with you through the years, like how it feels to be ten years old at the county fair. Hot dog stand. When you're hungry, hot dog smells doggone grand. Hopping through the sawdust, running with my brothers. Head to toe, we're smiling at the Tom Green County Fair. Rodeo. Tom Green County Fair's got one fine rodeo. The cowboys are the greatest. The clowny is so funny. You bust your britches laughing at the Tom Green County Fair. Well, a Sunday at the fair can make a memory more valuable than gold. Especially when you're ten years old, Ferris wheel. Just like an airplane in the sky, that's how you feel. Look down and see the people. Wave your arms and holler. Everybody's grinning at the Tom Green County Fair. Nighttime comes up there on the bandstand. We see Billy Swan. Everybody's clapping. Mom and Pop are dancing. Sawdust is flying at the Tom Green County Fair. Well, a Sunday at the fair can make a memory more valuable than gold. Especially when you're ten years old, time to go. The pickup truck, it rattles down the gravel road. And all of us get sit backwards, looking through the dust cloud at the lights and the laughter at the Tom Green County Fair. Pulga. This insect is made from dust and a little dampness. Friendly with waves that were 
Always in time, don't count the feathers, just count the wings. Every day counting, everything's changing. I almost forgot it, but then I remember. Admitted Canadian, in fact, card-carrying Canadian, Dan Mengen. They're showing us what it would sound like if Morrissey sang lead for Dead Can Dance. And fetchingly so, with a number titled, About as Helpful as You Can Be Without Being Any Help at All. A widely applicable title, I'd say. At the beginning of that set, we heard Dave Evans started out in the early 70s as a songwriter, a singer-songwriter, and then eventually dropped the singing and uh, specialized in what you heard there, this sort of finger-picking guitar. That was a piece called Jolimont. Rich harmonic sense. I really enjoy that. Really nice chords. <laughs> but the centerpiece there was Roger Miller with Tom Green County Fair. Miller was, of course, an amazing songwriter uh, and performer. That one wasn't one of his canonical numbers like Dang Me or uh, King of the Road. He performed it on the Johnny Cash show in 1970, and I think it was released around that time. He didn't write it. It was written by Dennis Lind, or Lindy, I don't know how you pronounce that, who had a low-key career as a singer-songwriter. His big claim to fame was writing Burnin' Love for Elvis. Tom Green County's in Texas. That's where I was born, Texas. I don't think I was born in Tom Green County, though. I don't know where the hell that is. There's a few things about this song that really get me. Kind of like the way he mentions Billy Swan, who at the time had not yet had his big hit, I Can Help. Probably a friend of the songwriter, though. Though I never went to county fairs as a kid, I did go to things like uh, local carnivals, church bazaars, Coney Island, things like that. And that feeling is the same. Any kid who's had those experiences is going to carry them his whole life, her whole life with that same sense of excitement and nostalgia. The way he describes these things very matter-of-factly with that very plain Johnny Cash rhythm, it's disarming. I think it, it, it connects in a really palpable way. Each time the melody gets around to the second line, it soars 
into a yearning place that uh, touches my heart. I wish I'd written that song. It, one of many songs I wish I'd written, but I, I have a real affection for songs that touch the emotions so deeply with such simple means. It's the most artful thing, I think. And maybe because of that, it didn't strike me right away. Um, I had to go back to that song a few times. It kept kind of calling me back. But uh, there were songs that happened like that. There are artists that uh, hit me like that. Lou Reed comes to mind right away. Couldn't stand Lou Reed when I first heard him. And I kept returning for some reason. Charles Ives as well uh, kept returning because I knew there was something in there that I needed. And um, even though it didn't appeal to me right away, it, it, it repulsed me. This one just seemed dull to me, the Tom Green County Fair. Not anymore. Maybe I'll give you another example of that. This is a song that the uh, first few times I heard it sounded perfectly ordinary and somehow got its hooks in me. And uh, now I really love it. It's produced by Connie Plank from 1985, the French duo Rita Mitsuko.
gusano. Worm. The dust of the earth. Such sad little beasts. Silkworms taking silk from their entrails spin their tomb. A little dove is born from the dead worm. A worm is born in the morning and dies at night. Man made from earth must return to earth after breeding worms from his flesh. Fascinating, meet me by the moonlight. Everything is changing except the sun and tide. Yeah, green lands, rivers and trees and sands where birds sing. Animal paradise are crackling. They make me feel glad to be an earthling. But the ostrich always gets his man. He jumps out from a bush.
touch of levity to ward off the gathering gloom with all this discussion of worms and death. Gordon Haskell singing his song Worms, which I first heard as the Stackridge cover version, which they called uh, the name after the chorus, No One's More Important Than the Earthworm. I prefer their version, but that's the original, and I like that one too. He was the guy who disappointed a lot of King Crimson fans when he replaced Greg Lake as the vocalist on the album Lizard. And how about that crazy backing track for Tandon Elmer's song, Along Comes Mary? So with the association being a vocal group, you would think it was an act of perversity on my part to play the backing track and not the vocals. But it's a beautiful track, and I think it's often overlooked with uh, the focus being on the lyrics of that song and the vocals. It isn't every backing track that rewards this kind of attention, but there are a lot of them. And uh, maybe I'll play some of those today, too. You'll hear a few others. Like...
Berenjena. Eggplant. Eggplants are not beautiful. They taste insipid. They sadden the spirit. They cause headaches. Their bad quality comes out in the face of he who eats too many, giving it their livid or dark green color. Plow with coal and courage, and uh, I disagree with Senor Horasco about eggplant. Maybe back in the 1600s, that was true of eggplants. But uh, my mother's eggplant—oh man, was it good! So I'm learning you can't trust everything you read in this little booklet, Treasure of the Castilian or Spanish Language. That's all. That's all I want to say about that. Now, before Speed the Plow, you heard a little bit of Lou Harrison. That was the first movement of his piece called Varied Trio. He was an American composer who was smitten with the music of Indonesia. I don't have to tell you that I'm smitten with the music of Brian Wilson, who cut that backing track for Little Honda 
back in 1964, on the same day, if my sources are to be trusted, the same day that he cut the track for I Get Around. So, Jesus Christ, I mean, you know. I Get Around, first of all, is, is my favorite record ever made. That's the greatest side ever cut, in my opinion. I just, that's where it's at. And uh, Little Honda, that backing track is rock and roll to me. That's, it's, it's the goods. Now, um, I don't know, I'm going to play something now that's kind of maudlin, uh, kind of dark. I don't really have a problem with things that are maudlin or self-pitying. I think that's one of the great things about song, because we feel self-pitying often enough, and often enough for good reasons. And you can't really take that out in public and expect to get anywhere with it. You know, people people turn away from you with that because nobody wants to deal with it. So what do you do with it? I mean, you take it to songs. And a lot of the greatest music ever made is based on that premise. Frank Sinatra's entire career, really, um, he's either swinging or he's sobbing, you know, in his beer. Now, I uh, talk about my brother a lot. I should really write a book about my brother, Bobby. He's a colossal figure in my life in a lot of good ways and some very bad ways, but... When I was a kid, he took me under his wing, kind of made it his point to uh, become my mentor in the arts. And he would take me to galleries, performance spaces, which, you know, it was weird Greenwich Village basement or third floor walk-up type of places where various things would happen. <laughs> Cultural things, I should, I should specify. And um, the main thing was, uh, and, and he would take, you know, he would take me to the Museum of Modern Art, and he would stand there gaping at, say, Robert Motherwell paintings, as if there was something amazing there. And I still can't see it. Didn't really have the effect on me that he intended. But he did teach me a lot, and where he, where it did really take root was in music, because we'd sit down with our little hi-fi, and he would play records for me. And, over the years, these sessions became more fraught as his personal problems emerged. He had what was called in those days manic depression, substance abuse problems, all sorts of issues. But he was my hero, so none of that stuff detracted from it. He was eight years older than me, which is a big deal when you're a kid. That's that's a There's an adult and he's a kid, so... The interest that he took in, in teaching me these things was flattering, and I thought I was the coolest kid in the world because of this. And maybe for that reason, I think he was very reluctant to come out to me. I, I think he felt that it would diminish my uh, admiration for him, which I understand, but it was crazy. Nothing could have at that point. And um, there's a lot that I could say about all that. But for present purposes, he finally came out one night when I was a teenager and Petey was a kid five years younger than me. And Bobby was quite inebriated and dramatically made his announcement to us and was kind of shocked that we were like, yeah, well, we figured. <laughs> um, it was kind of a funny moment in the middle of uh, an otherwise very unfunny evening. But one of the reasons I knew that he was gay was he would communicate it to me whether he knew it or not in the songs that he would play for me and one of those was this song the version he played was a different one this is the original from uh, 
a Broadway musical called The Nervous Set from 1959. It was a kind of a beat generation review. It's called Ballad of the Sad Young Men. And I send it with great, great love to my dear brother Bobby. Sing a song of sad young men Glasses full of rye All the news is bad again Kiss your dreams goodbye All the sad young men Sitting in the bars Knowing neon nights Missing all the stars All the sad young men Drifting
pared. Wall. The walls have ears. Goodbye, my blessed walls. Not all who piss on walls are men. The dog pisses there too. A fallen wall. A master wall. A wall of dry stone.
I'll confess there was a time that I thought Hot Pockets were a great idea, but they never quite worked out. First of all, it tastes like shit, you know, bleh. But, you know, you, you, you stick this thing in the uh, oven and you take it out and then you, 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 this molten hell comes out to strafe your mouth and it tastes like shit. Nevertheless, a bit of fun there, a little bit of fun. Of course, you know, you, when you're doing these things, you're at the mercy of the source material. Couldn't find a clean Hot Pockets commercial. Well, you, you get lo-fi. You get lo-fi. Uh, before that, we heard the Four Seasons, the great, great Four Seasons, doing Wall Street Village Day. That was from their 1968 album, Genuine Imitation Life Gazette. Their bid for hipness. By then, the likes of Jan Winner were in charge of determining what was hip, and the Four Seasons didn't stand a chance. But by then, they were part of a movement that I don't think has ever been properly classified or explored. I like to call it hip square. I have a few other words for it. Maybe I'll discuss it on one of these podcasts sometimes, but it's it's the music made by guys with sideburns and turtlenecks and sport jackets. You know, it includes the Four Seasons, Classics 4, um, the Grassroots, Jay and the Americans. You know, to some extent, you had the Letterman on, on the more conservative side of things and on the less conservative side. It, it, the association kind of tipped into it a little bit. Maybe the Fifth Dimension. It was it was the safer kind of music, you know, for people who said, uh, well, I like the new sounds. You know, Jimmy Webb and the Beatles are writing some great new numbers. And they would listen to acts like this at cocktail parties and all. And, you know, it wasn't, uh, wasn't the Ocarant stuff that everybody looks back on now and, like, pretends was what they would have been listening to. There was a lot of great music was made, influenced heavily, I guess, by the songwriting of, like, Backrack and Jimmy Webb. That middle-of-the-road vibe, you know, uh, and some jazz influence. I think these guys were the precursors to the likes of Steely Dan, which to me is a wonderful thing to be a precursor to. In fact, Steely Dan uh, creates a link there because they actually played with Jay and the Americans for a while. But anyway, that song was Wall Street Village Day, co-written by Bob Gordio, the great, great Bob Gordio, and Jake Holmes, who also worked with Bob Gordio on Frank Sinatra's Watertown album. And that song, uh, aside from the fact that I just find it really, really catchy, I like the fact that it criticizes the village hipsters as well as the straights. There wasn't a lot of that in pop music at the time. It always seemed to me the sane take. Prior to that was a beautiful piece by Duke Ellington, The Single Petal of a Rose from The Queen's Suite. What's there to say about Duke Ellington? They're just pretty gorgeous. 
And again at the top, The Ballad of the Sad Young Men, performed by Tani Seitz. That's her name at the time. She later called herself Tani Guthrie. Done in the show, The Nervous Set. Viento. Wind. To drink the wind is to desire. To lack the object of desire grieves the heart. One breathes so quickly. The wind carries words and feathers away. Things of the wind. Nothing.
Chico Hamilton Quintet with the wind. I've been doing a lot of yapping on this show. There was a complaint about the Christmas show that I wasn't talking enough. I imagine there will be differences on this question. Doing what I can. Now everybody knows by now that Neil Innes recently died, and it was kind of a shock to everybody. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time eulogizing him because people have been doing it very well without me. Neil was my Paul McCartney, just as Vivian Stanchel was my John Lennon. Can't overestimate how important they were to me. I first met Neil Ennis in 1976 backstage at a uh, Monty Python performance at City Center. I was wearing a duck hat, which Neil wore on the cover of How Sweet to Be an Idiot. It was a duck toy that was on wheels that squeaked when you squeezed it. And he's just cut it off at the waist and it made a great hat. So I bought one of those and made my own hat and wore it to that show. I, I was probably one of two Neil Innes fanatics at the, at the Monty Python show. And when he's saying, I'm the urban spaceman, we were the two people screaming and cheering. <laughs> so afterwards, we went to hang around by the stage door to meet him. And uh, I was pulled into the foyer by Eric Idle, who saw the hat and thought I had stolen it. Because evidently, at a previous appearance, somebody did cop Neil's hat. So this was a happy circumstance because Neil came out immediately and recognized that this was not his hat. We talked for a little while. I also met Harry Nielsen that night. It was pretty incredible. Anyway, he was gracious and sweet, and I encountered him a few times over the subsequent years, and he was always just wonderful. Here's to you, Neil. I'm going to play a song from that uh, How Sweet to Be an Idiot album. It's an example of Neil's inherent sweetness. It's not funny in any way. It's just a lovely little piece. This Love of Ours, which he wrote obviously for his wife, Yvonne, who is uh, stunned by what's happened.
Bobby Hebb, known of course for the all-time great single, Sunny, later cut this record in the early 70s. During a period when a lot of adventurous music was being made, a lot of what is now called prog rock, that same impulse was influencing a lot of other music in hard rock. You heard it in Alice Cooper's Killer album. It was just these long, intricately structured tunes. It happened in soul music as well. You heard the OJs doing that uh, Ship Ahoy record, which was this uh, concept about slave ships. And Bobby Hebb gave us that one. Much as I appreciate directness, simplicity, and the impulses behind roots music and all that jazz, uh, I really dislike it when people scorn this more complicated stuff as pretentious or whatever they want to, you know, it's just, just stupid. Again, Neil Innes before that with this love of ours from uh, How Sweet to Be an Idiot. And I'm not one to dwell on losses. Of course, we just lost Steve Martin from the left bank as well. And, you know, people, people die all the time. But one other loss I just wanted to note, because I'm so fond of her music, was Norma Tanega. Not the most prolific artist, but uh, a complete individual. Made a wonderful album, I guess in 1966, I'm thinking, on uh, New Voice Records, which was uh, the, the producer of the Four Seasons, Bob Crew, had started the label Dino Voice, and he had acts like The Toys on that label, who did uh, Lover's Concerto. And I think New Voice was the companion label that was going to present folk music and experimental stuff and artier type of shit. And Norma was a real oneer. She had a hit with Walking My Cat Named Dog off of that album. And then she drifted in and out of view for a number of years. She became a romantic partner to Dusty Springfield. Romantic and creative. She wrote some material for Dusty. And then uh, later did one more album on RCA in the early 70s. And would pop up here and there in the years after that. But uh, it's too bad there wasn't more of her songwriting out during that time. Because she really had it. So I'm going to play one of her songs that I'm really fond of from that first album. By the way, I have an interview with her that ran in Hit Parade around that time, and she cited Aaron Copeland as one of her main sources of inspiration. So, you know, come on. We love her here on Buckaroo Holiday. And then I'm going to follow it with the Dusty Springfield record from around the same time, maybe a little earlier, kind of reuniting them in music. Goodbye, Norman. Thank you. Springtime I saw everything 
Its body is the biggest of all animals. Its senses seem to reach the scope of man's. Elephants perceive the language of those who raise them. They converse with their masters and do what they command, learning all that they are taught. Elephants are friends with those who coddle them and love their masters. A kind of goodness and prudence and fairness can be found in them, 
which some men lack. When their masters take them on a journey, the masters must first give their word that they'll return. If an elephant meets a lost man in the desert, the elephant humbly points out he is going the wrong way. Elephants are naturally ashamed. The male and female never couple except in hidden places. They breed when the male is five years old and the female 10. Aristotle says they do not breed until they turn 20, and two years after conceiving, they give birth. They breed only five days a year and do not return to the company of the others until they have purified themselves in a river. Male and female are paired and they do not betray each other, nor do the males fight for the females, not because they lack strength and knowledge of love. Indeed, elephants are inclined to fall in love. Once an elephant fell in love with an Egyptian girl who made garlands and Aristophanes was the elephant's rival. The elephant is clement toward the weak. When it goes among the sheep, it deflects them softly with its trunk. When an elephant hears a pig grunt, it takes fright. African elephants dread Indian elephants. The elephant spends 10 years in its mother's womb. The females give birth once and only once. They live 200 years, and some live for 300. Their youth starts at age 60. They are sensitive to cold and suffer no illness except an inflammation of the womb and diarrhea. They cast off arrows shot at them when given oil to drink. If they are not regularly fed, they swallow stones. Elephants eat tree trunks with great pleasure. They topple tall palm trees. They eat their fruit. They eat with their mouths, but they breathe, drink, and smell with their trunks, called hands. The elephant abhors the mouse, maybe aside from its bad odor, because of the ease with which the mouse can enter the elephant's trunk and choke it. The elephant has a latticed hide. The elephant means emperor or king, insofar as it fights with serpents and defeats them. And the serpent signifies the roundness of the earth. Just as the beaver cuts off its medicinal sacks when hunters pursue it, the elephant breaks its tusks on a rock or tree. Without them, the hunters desist. When elephants are very old, their tusks fall out and are born again. Some think the tusks are teeth and others horns. The elephant has two hearts, one to grow angry and another to take pity. If the elephant is sick, it seems to invoke heaven lifting its trunk high with the grass it pulls from the ground. It has a small tongue for being so corpulent. The female seeks out the plant called mandrake. Emboldened by her lust, she seeks her consort and gives him the mandrake. When he eats it, he burns with an amorous ardor. The elephant sleeps against a tree. The hunter saws the tree, leaving just enough to keep it standing. The elephant leans against the tree. Both fall to the earth. Then other hunters pick up the elephant and flatter it with loving words and give it something to eat, by which they tame it. The elephant goes where they want it to. This animal is so mysterious, this discourse has been given in proportion to its greatness. I have left many things out so as not to be more prolix. Another can add those things if he likes. Speaking of prolix or tediously prolonged, as long as that elephant bit was there, this show is far longer. And I think we've all had enough, eh? 
As noted earlier, there was a mystic significance to the elephant entry, and so it's a good place to leave. I also mentioned offhand that I might play another version of that Bee Gees song, and it relates to my private mystical experience now, so I'm going to drag you along as we say goodbye to another buckaroo holiday. For those of you who were missing this show during its brief hiatus, I hope this one pleased you. The good news is the next one will probably be sooner. It won't, certainly won't be another month in between shows. The bad news is it might be the show I threatened earlier about my own songs. I really don't know why I'm doing that, but it's my show. And I did all these songs, you know, for a long time. So uh, I'm going to indulge myself, maybe. You know, it ain't like anybody's paying me for this, so uh, who do I got to answer to? What, are you going to fire me? <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. And if that's not to your taste, there'll be another regular show coming up soon enough. So in the meantime, I'm going to give you the Bee Gees again. You know, I saw them perform this, I think, when I was 11. I talked about my brother Bobby before, but my brother Brian brought me to see them when I was 11. I was a huge Bee Gees fan at the time, and it was a thrill. And they, they did this song. So if I send one to Bobby, I'll send this one to my brother Brian. Morning of my life. And I wish you the best in your life. See you next time. Bye now.
In the morning. In the morning. 